It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. You can also tune in on various podcast platforms. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. We'll be taking your phone calls at 201-939-4513. That's one of two ways for you to interact with us here on the program. You could also use hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. You can directly interact with us. I'm at Lance Meadow, one word, last name M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. As the Giants fell to the Bears in Chicago at Soldier Field on Sunday, 17-13. It was a 17-0 game at the half. The Giants scored 13 unanswered points, but the game ended on a offensive pass interference call against Golden Tate, and the comeback fell short. So we'll get into all of that. We'll also go over some of the latest team news on Unfortunately, two notable injuries that the Giants suffered. There's not really new developments on that front, but certainly we'll get into what that perhaps means for the team moving forward. Paul, uh, tale of two halves, I think, is somewhat of a best way to describe yesterday's game as the Giants, to me, dug themselves in an enormous hole in the first half. Five possessions, not being able to get on the board. You've got two drives that end in turnovers. One that was a three and out. Another one you picked up two first downs and you punted. And then the missed field goal. When you have limited at-bats, as I like to use that baseball analogy, Paul, you've got to try to take advantage of opportunities or you at least need to make sure you cash in on some of those possessions. And by the Giants not doing that, they pretty much ran out of time and ran out of opportunities once the second half came along. Well, consider the fact that they turned two Mitch Trubisky interceptions in the second half to two field goals. So, you know, I agree with you. It was the tale of two halves. There's no question about that. And the Giants did dig themselves a very deep cavern by the time halftime rolled around. But, again, in the second half, as good as some things were, they certainly were not good enough. You cannot settle for two field goals on those two Trubisky picks. you got to at least catch in on one touchdown, if not two. And so, to me... Uh, there's still a bruise on that second half. Even though it was better, uh, it's not enough. Completely with you. The turnovers are great. The takeaways being collected are fine, but it's very similar, Paul, to my philosophy, at least about time of possession, right? And we've had this conversation more often than not. You're holding on to the ball. You're putting together lengthy drives. Wonderful. But what is that equating to? If a 10-minute drive leads to three points, that's not nearly as impressive as if you could walk away with a touchdown. Now, in fairness, the Bears are just frustrated, even though they won that game yesterday, because they also were able to force two turnovers against Daniel Jones. They only walked away with three points. And there was an opportunity, remember, in the first half, Paul, because Trubisky, I thought, threw a great pass to Anthony Miller over the head of the Giants defender, put it only where Miller would catch it, and Miller dropped it. So the Giants somewhat benefited from that because the Bears had to settle for a field goal. But the bottom line is, if you're going to change field position in a relatively low-scoring, grinded-out affair— Every possession needs to finish with a touchdown. And the Giants, because their margin for error is so minute, they can't put themselves in a position where they just walk away with three points. No, not at all, Lance. And and quite honestly, too, I think the other thing that that really stung them a bit yesterday, uh, Lady Luck didn't help them at all. I mean, consider that fourth down play where uh, the Bears were, were trying to milk out some of the clock and, you know, they get an incompletion that's deflected over the middle and somehow, some way, Bobby Massey, uh, their offensive tackle, winds up having the ball land right into his breadbasket. I mean, you know, the football gods were not very pleasant to the Giants yesterday at all. And, of course, you could also tell me about earlier the, the deflected interception that the Giants had come away with. But nonetheless, uh, fourth down play right there, just huge. And what did it do? It, it cost the Giants time. Yeah, I mean, they had the ball in better field position with more time available. How does that impact the final drive of the game? It's a great point, and let's focus more on that drive. I'm glad you brought that up. It was a fourth and two from the Giants' 36. Trubisky throws over the middle. The Giants were in a zone. Blake Martinez made a great play on the ball. Unfortunately, to your point, it bounced up and went in the hands of the Bears' right tackle, which was his first career reception, which I guess is basically the best way to describe 
that we're in 2020, Paul. Just weird things continue to happen in this year, unlike anything we've ever seen. But as you alluded to, this drive, even before that, was extremely costly, Paul, for the Giants because they took over the Bears with about 7.43 to go in the fourth quarter. And it's a 17-13 game, and this is where the last thing you can afford to do is you know the Bears are going to want to run the football, Paul, because you know they want to milk the clock. And then what happens is Montgomery for 11, Montgomery for 10. He runs for back-to-back first downs. Then two plays later, Trubisky scrambles for 12, Montgomery for 9. Fortunately, there was a penalty, a chop block, but then on a first and 25, this to me was a huge turning point. You back up the Bears in a very precarious spot, and Montgomery picks up 23 of the 25 yards on the very first play to make it an extremely manageable second down, and it ultimately leads to a fourth and two. They convert it, but just think about, Paul, how much clock ticked away between the two first down runs by Montgomery and then on top of that, the 23-yard run by him. I would agree with you there, Lance. Uh, It's certainly a very costly uh, number of plays there. I also think, and, you know, again, I I don't want to nitpick on this. It's just so difficult to do, especially when we talked about how last week there were so few penalties called in week one of the regular season. If you really would like to go back and look at some of those Montgomery runs on that final Bears drive, there are a number of two-handed fists full of Giants jerseys where holding is not called. And it gets very frustrating when you see that. But, of course, the idea is you have to stop the other guy. And you cannot rely on referees being able to see penalties because that's just not a good way to go. Uh, it's unfortunate, but it happened. I, I, you know, one play in particular, Leonard Williams practically had his jersey, you know, torn off of him. And, uh, you know, it resulted in one of Montgomery's big first down runs. But what are you going to do? It is what it is. Good teams overcome missed calls and bad That's calls, it. as I like to say. And the Giants say. are not good enough to do that. They're just not. They're not to that level yet. The consistency is not there. And to me, what this drive showcased, Paul, was somewhat of a microcosm for the entire game because this was a Bears team that was 2-for-11, Paul, on third down against the Detroit Lions. That was tied for the worst mark in the NFL in terms of efficiency in week number one. 18% efficiency on third down. Now, I understand it's a week-to-week league. Every opponent is different, which probably is further laid out based on that fact. But this Bears team knew the one element they had to drastically improve upon in week two was consistency on the offensive end for all four quarters because Trubisky, remember, put that rally together in the fourth quarter. And then the second factor is, which goes hand-in-hand with that first one, stay on the field on third down and convert. The Bears were 9 of 16, Paul, on third down. Much higher rate than the 18%. And then on top of that, because I charted every single one of the Bears' third downs, we're talking about downs and distances that were extremely manageable. So it's not so much that the Giants couldn't get off the field on third down, Paul. I would point out it was the inability for the Giants to make key stops on first and second down to put the Bears in a very tough spot. The longest third down the Bears faced was a third and 18. Outside of that, every other third down that the Bears faced was for nine yards or less. And the bulk of them were in the six-yard or less territory. That, to me, was a huge development in this game, considering also the Giants struggled themselves in converting third downs on offense. Well, you know the shame of it, Lance. The Giants only gave up one reasonable drive defensively in the entire second half. Look at the Bears' second-half possessions. In the third quarter, they get a pick. Then they get a punt. In the fourth quarter, they get a pick. And then they get that long drive that milked five and a half minutes off the clock. That's it. That one drive late in the fourth quarter, which put the Giants again in another situation where they were going to have to climb uphill. That one drive is the only drive in the second half where you could complain about what the Giants did. I'm, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little bit on the other side of the fence on this one. I, I think, I think you're, you're, you're picking on that defense a little too much because uh, for, for the most part in the second half, they did what they had to do. Well, I'm also looking at the complete package. And remember, that Bears opening drive, the Bears were 4-for-4 four four on third down. Paul. Yes. 
Oh, there's no question. Once on I, third I'm, down. I'm not disputing that. I'm not disputing that at all. What I'm saying is, you know, still for the game, they only allowed 17 points. And, and there's nothing to complain about with no, respect to that. No, there's nothing to complain about. Game. Quite yeah, frankly, with you. I hate to say it, but if if they had played that well, you know, the previous week against Pittsburgh, which they were not going to because the Steelers are a much more fierce opponent, uh, that game would have been a heck of a lot closer. And quite honestly, I'll tell you what, if the Giants, you know, allow 17 points to the San Francisco 49ers this coming weekend, uh, you know, they probably have a chance to win the game. Well, the bottom line is, Paul, they had a chance in each of the first two weeks, but what's the common thread that you're just hitting on? You had 16 points in week one. You had 13 points in week two. So you're averaging 14 and a half points per game. You're not going to win. I don't care whether you continue to hold the opposition to 17 or 18 points. Paul, you're not going to win in the NFL when you're only averaging 14 and a half I points per game. I guess my point is this, Lance. We all went into the season having huge doubts about this defense. And I think through the first two weeks of the season, we have seen a defense that has exceeded most people's expectations and, in fact, got better in week two than it was in week one. That's probably the only point that I'm really trying to make here. Lance Meadow, Paul DeTito with you here on Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live as we are recapping the Giants' loss to the Bears in Chicago, 17-13, as the Giants unfortunately start off 0-2 for the fourth straight season and the seventh time in the last eight years. Offensive issues in the early stages of this game wound up catching up with them in the latter stages of the game. And the final drive, after all was said and done, Paul, despite the third down issues, they do get the ball back. And they have an opportunity because all they need is a touchdown to win this game. So they wind up taking over, and they put together a 13-play 40-yard drive with just over 2.02 to go. And Daniel Jones is able to convert on a fourth and four, and then he's able to convert on a fourth and one because he hits Deion Lewis and Darius Slayton, respectively. And then it's a third and six from the Chicago 10, four seconds to go. And Daniel Jones, intended target, Golden Tate, is called for offensive pass interference. I know people are also pointing to, Paul, because you said you went back and you looked at a number of the Montgomery runs. You said holds could have been called. A lot of people are pointing to the fact that Evan Ingram, who was not the intended target on that last play, middle of the field, and he was held. Mugged by two guys. They wiped him. They wiped him right out. Two guys right over the middle. But I'll go even further than that. What about C.J. Board's catch? that set up the fourth and one. Do you think that was a bad spot? I think you could certainly make a debate about that. There's no doubt about it. I haven't had a chance to go back and look at that very play. That was on my to-do list today, actually. But to the naked eye, I thought it was extremely close. Yeah. And, and here's what stinks about that. You have the right to ask for a spot. When something is that close, you have the right to ask the official, could we get a spot on that? Could we, could we, could we check on the chains? Let's see, let's see what it is. See, because what can happen in that situation, you, you don't have the right to get a replay, okay, to, to, to get a replay for a review of placing the ball. But what at least you can do is to get the clock to stop by asking the official, could we at least get a, get a look at the chains on this? And while they come out with the chains, you've got an opportunity now at a free timeout. And, and I'll be honest, I thought the Giants let that slip by. I would, I would have asked for the chains to come out and asked for a measurement. And, you know, that, I don't know that that would have made a difference. But I would, I would, it was close enough. And quite frankly, I think it was a bad spot. But it was close enough that a measurement could have given you a free timeout and an opportunity to reset. Bottom line is, even after that, regardless of the spot, you've got multiple opportunities to still get the ball in the end zone. So it goes back to the whole thing about we could sit here and complain about calls or missed opportunities. There was still time and opportunities after that. Unfortunately, the Giants didn't come through. And this is where, although people are going to put that final play under the microscope and perhaps the spot on the third down, this is where you start playing the coulda, woulda, shoulda game, Paul, to me about what you could have done in the first half. 
what you could have salvaged in the first half to maybe get an additional field goal on the board, and then maybe you don't even need a touchdown at the end of the game. For example, you could bring up, and this was no chip shot, and I'm not saying this loss, Paul, is on Graham Gano, but if you walk away with a field goal at the end of the first half, we don't know how the rest of the game plays out, but then right. maybe you just have to bring Gano out and a field goal can win the game. Very right. different. Yeah. Well, look, this is what happens when you are a mediocre to less than average football team. You're going to go back on most Sundays and say, okay, Lady Luck did us wrong five or six times in the game. But then if you dig deeper, you realize that you did yourselves wrong another five or six times that compounded what Lady Luck did to kick you in the butt. And now all of a sudden, that means there are 10 things that went wrong in the game, half of which were your fault, half of which were Lady Luck's fault. And guess what? Those 10 things guaranteed that you lost. That's, that's just what happens when you're not a above-average quality football team. These are the things that will happen to you every single weekend. We'll get into more with respect to the game as we move forward here on Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, but I want to also turn to the injuries that came out of the game, and certainly not good news for the Giants when you lose two of your top offensive weapons in Saquon Barkley as well as Sterling Shepard, and this just coming in, the Giants now have formally announced that Saquon Barkley underwent an MRI on his right knee that confirmed a torn ACL Barkley will undergo surgery to repair the injury in the near future. So the unfortunate news was confirmed, and that means, Paul, Saquon Barkley is going to be out for the season. Horrendous news from his standpoint, considering how hard he's worked this offseason and how critical he is to the offensive side of the ball. But the Giants now, after they missed him for a few weeks last season because of the ankle injury, now they're going to be without him for 14 more games here moving forward. And... We saw what Deion Lewis could do as he filled in. Wayne Goldman was inactive. He's another option. Rod Smith's on the practice squad. But it's possible the Giants will also look outside of the organization to help aid the depth chart here in the running game. Well, I, I, here's the problem, Lance. You can't replace this guy. Not at all. If he's Superman, you just don't find another Superman on the street. You've got to find a bunch of Clark Kents. So what do you do? Do you decide that Deion Lewis is going to be the bulk of the carries? Do you decide that Goldman is going to split them? Do you decide to make Goldman the bulk of the carry guy? Do you decide to go outside and get one of those guys on the street and say that guy's going to be sharing the load or that guy is going to be doing the bulk of the stuff? Uh, there are a number of different ways you can go here. Uh, do you decide to stick with Goldman and Lewis and bring back Javon Leak because he was in your training camp for much of the summer and at least has a concept of what it is that you'd like to do? I, You know, I don't know which way the Giants are going to go right now. I'm sure they're still trying to figure it out. Well, Lewis is not a guy that has received the bulk of carries, even going back to his New England days. I'm not saying that he's not capable, but I look at Lewis more as a guy that could share the load as opposed to being somebody that you want to give 20 carries to a game. And also, because of his receiving ability, maybe you want to get him other touches that way. Goldman... Comes from a big-time program in Clemson. He's filled in previously when the Giants have had injuries in the rushing attack. You go back to 2019. He had a game against Washington. He had 18 carries in that contest. Now, that was the first game that Barkley missed last year because he got hurt in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. So, Goldman, to me, is more capable, perhaps, than Lewis, I think, to give him that 18 to 20 carry mm -hmm. load every game. And the other guy that I think we shouldn't overlook, as I referenced, Rod Smith, Paul, Rod Smith has been in the mm -hmm. Dallas offense. He was with Jason Garrett. Mm -hmm. Remember, he had that big game against the Giants a few years ago, if you remember, at the tail end of the season. Yes. So, to me, he's a bigger back. I would not be surprised especially since he's now had a few weeks being with the team, that maybe we could see him being called up to the active roster when it's all said and done. That, and that is certainly uh, a very viable option. I think the thing that troubles me, and I don't mean any disrespect at all to, to Rod Smith, but I think what troubles me is you consider the fact that he's already been with Dallas. He's been with Seattle. He's been with Tennessee. He's been with the 
Oakland team, which is now Las Vegas. I mean, it's what? Within five years' time, he's bounced around now to five different organizations. Does that does that give you any pause here? Does that does that trouble you at all when all of a sudden you're going to say to yourself, well, guy's been with five different organizations over the course of actually more like six years. Uh, do I really want to make him a significant part of my rotation? My answer is I don't know. I'm just saying it's a question that you need to chew on because his resume has only said that that one year in Dallas back in 17 when he carried 55 times for a grand total of 232 yards. That is his biggest body of work in the National Football League. And, oh, yes, he did catch 19 passes for 202 yards that day. That is the biggest body of work on his resume. Even Deion Lewis in 17 with the Patriots, when he became a starter later on in the year, ran for nearly 900 yards and averaged a total of uh, 13 touches a game. So you have to say to yourself, okay, is this the way you want to go? I I don't know what the, I don't know that there's a good answer is what I'm basically saying, Lance. I I just don't know uh, until after they make a decision and we see whoever is brought in or whoever gets the carries how they're going to produce. I don't know that anybody can really forecast a good answer as we stand here today. Well, this is what I will say. I don't think there's any rule in the NFL that you need one lead back. I think we're seeing it across the NFL. There's a number of teams that employ multiple backs. So I don't think the Giants need to be of the belief we have to have a guy on the roster who we're going to feed the ball to 20 times a game. I think you can have more than enough success if you split up guys and you have them assigned to different roles. In fairness to Rod Smith, to your point, Paul, he's moved around. But if you look at his stint with Tennessee was for a few weeks because he joined them in October of 2019. He was released in November. He was barely with the Raiders. He joined them in December of 2019. And then they essentially parted ways with him in September. So he was really not with them for more than a, a month, I would say, within a season. And he was playing behind Zeke for the good portion of his Dallas Cowboys tenure. And, of course, some of the other backs that they had there when they were in that period of time moving away from DeMarco Murray to Zeke. So the opportunity, the sample size, in my opinion, has not been there for Rod Smith. I think now if the opportunity presents itself where a team says, hey, we want you to be the main guy as opposed to a guy that maybe we're going to have come in and out of games, you never know how a guy could perform. I just think from a body perspective, Rod Smith's 6'3", we're talking about in that 235 to 240 weight barometer. On the roster, when you look at the individuals, I think he's built to take multiple hits mm-hmm. over the course of a game if you want to feed him compared to the other two guys. I, I, and I understand, and this is why you have to talk this out, and the Giants front office needs to hammer out all of the positives and negatives. I just went back and looked at Rod Smith's career at Ohio State. In four years, he had a combined 107 total rushing attempts, 32 carries for 215 back as a junior in 2012. That was his his career year at Ohio State. I mean, the resume, whether NFL or college, doesn't indicate a lot of accomplishment. So you do have to wonder, yeah, the measurables are really attractive. I'm not disagreeing with you at all, Lance. My question is, when you balance that out against the overall production, does it give you a minute to scratch your head? And these are all things that the Giants are going to have to consider. Sterling Shepard was the other notable injury. He left the game with a toe injury. He tried to come back in early in the third quarter and then couldn't get it done. So he's going to undergo further tests. There's no update on Sterling Shepard's status. But once again, in case you're just joining us, the Giants have confirmed an MRI proved Saquon Barkley did tear his ACL and he is out for the season. We're going to open up the phone lines. We'll get more into the loss to the Bears as well as we move along here on Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat. You could tweet directly at us at Lance Meadow. One word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. Sean is in Cherry Hill and he gets us going here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Sean? Hey, guys. How are you? You're all right, Sean. What's on your mind? I was wondering uh, if you guys remember in 2007, we gave up 80 points 
the first two games of the season to Dallas and Green Bay. And we won the Super Bowl that year. So that's the same thing that we're doing right now. Hopefully we can beat the 49ers and our defensive line and our offensive line did pretty well for themselves. Well, two games is not necessarily indicative of what a season's going to play out. And, Sean, appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for joining us here on the program. But in terms of the comparison that the caller just brought up, Paul, the issue right now is not that the defense is giving up an overwhelming amount of points. I would say the bigger issue is the Giants' offense is not putting up enough points. And, you know, you even hit on this, Paul. We were talking about this all offseason. We said if you play the paper test, which, by the way, is why what a team looks like on paper is never indicative of what's going to happen in the season. But if you did play the paper test, you would have said – in all likelihood, the Giants are going to find ways to score, and they're going to have to make up for the defensive shortcomings. Well, now you could argue the defense is doing everything in its power to keep the team in the game, but the offense is unfortunately not meeting the defense halfway. I agree with you. That's exactly the point that I tried to make several minutes ago, is that this defense, to me, has not been the, the Achilles. I, I think they have performed better than people thought, especially at this early stage of the season. What the Giants need to figure out now is how to get that offense going without one of the league's most potent weapons. And when Saquon Barkley was out of the lineup last season, clearly the team said, Daniel Jones, you're going to have to beat us. And the amount of respect, Paul, let's not be naive. Whoever does fill in for Saquon Barkley, whether it's one individual, whether it's a group, the way defenses are going to look at the Giants is now drastically going to change because the Bears came into the game thinking about, all right, we got to focus on Saquon. Then things all of a sudden change when Saquon gets out of the contest. But San Francisco and the Niners are banged up, and we'll certainly get more into them later in the week. But the way that the Niners are now going to approach defending the Giants, completely different than if you would have asked what Kyle Shanahan would have had to do a few weeks ago. Without a doubt. I mean, look. I don't know exactly how the 49ers are going to proceed here this week. I mean, we know they're staying in the in the area because uh, they just played the Jets yesterday. They've got, what, four guys who are listed with significant injuries. I would assume that none of those four are going to play this week. So now they've got to figure out, are their backups going to move in? Are they going to promote guys from the practice squad? Are they going to have tryouts coming in from the outside this afternoon? I don't know. It's a little bit too early to to predict or to project that. So I don't know what the 49ers are bringing to the table. What I do know is that coming into the season, they had a very, very difficult front seven to deal with. And 100%. I don't think that's going to change very much on Sunday. Well, mainly because the Niners, I would argue, have a lot of depth at that position. Now, yes. that doesn't mean that when you lose Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas, per se, that you have guys that duplicate their production. But they do have a number of weapons that they rotate. And That's we'll know my point. More. That Correct. defense is not turning into Swiss cheese overnight, Lance. Not at all. And Jimmy Garoppolo, by the way, finished out the game, even though he did suffer an ankle injury. So I would be surprised if he's not going to have a legitimate shot to play against the Giants, too. He did tough it out. Let's head back to the lines. Donald is in Tennessee. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Donald? Hey, Paul. Hey, hey Lance. How are you guys today? Hi. We're doing well. What's on your couple, mind? A couple of, actually, three quick questions. Two on defense, one on offense. So I'll take the defense first. Yesterday, I was totally confused about that third and nine play where they took out all the rushers and put in nothing but backs and a few linebackers, and they never got to Trubisky as he basically danced around and he completed a pass. Who called for that type of defense, and why didn't we have any rushers in? You're talking about the touchdown pass to Mooney, correct? Yep. All right, and that made it 17 nothing at that point. That's what's known as an amoeba defense. It's something that Belichick has used on occasion. Rex Ryan popularized it when he was with the Ravens and with the Jets. It's what you do when you go with 11 guys, none of whom are defensive linemen. They all stand up, 
and they all start walking around in a lazy-type fashion to basically confuse the quarterback as well as his offensive linemen and maybe even his receivers as to what it is that you expect to do once the ball is snapped. Uh, it's, it's something that some very good defenses over the years have used as a change-up. I don't have a problem with the Giants doing it. I wish that, you know, they had been more effective in the play. I guess Martinez came in late and just didn't get there in time against Trubisky when he unloaded the ball. Obviously, Ballantyne did not play the jump ball very well, although, again, uh, the secondary was forced to cover for a very lengthy period of time. I just don't think the Giants necessarily played it that well. I, I don't question the strategy so much. Yeah, Trubisky had about six seconds, by the way, to throw that football, and Mooney got in front of Ballantyne. So it's almost like when you're boxing out a guy in the NBA, if you have leverage to push him out of the way so you can jump up to the ball without him reaching over you, Mooney won the battle. And I think to Paul's point, what you have to understand, Donald, is, and we are not in the meeting, so we don't know the philosophy in terms of why that play call was chosen at that point. But you know, more often than not, a coach never goes into a play call saying, I have no reason to believe that my team's going to be able to execute. Bottom line is the players didn't execute. Trubisky had too much time, and it turned into a scramble drill. And that's exactly, I listened to what Mooney had to say about that play after the game. Mooney said it was basically us adjusting to a scramble drill, which is meaning you run around as much as possible, you buy your quarterback enough time, and if you leave the secondary out to dry for six, seven seconds, more often than not, the offense is going to win that battle with the defense. See, the other part to that particular defense is that if you're in the amoeba defense, one of the things you're hoping for is that some of your slippery, more athletic, quicker linebackers who may be up there on the front line are going to be able to elude the big, bulky offensive linemen a lot sooner and a lot quicker than maybe the Bears would like, and they will actually get to Trubisky. But, again, that did not happen. Well, what you, when, when you look at Trubisky, you know, one of the keys that they talked about uh, last week was keeping him in the pocket, and it seemed he kept escaping to the right is, is it that the Giants weren't giving enough pressure or Trubisky is too mobile a quarterback? How about just saying that guys didn't win enough for their one-on-one matchups? I'll give you yeah. an example. There was a play, Donald, if you recall. I don't remember what it was, but I think Trubisky picked up 12 yards. Leonard Williams had an opportunity to continue to run towards the sideline to prevent Trubisky from getting the first down. Leonard yep, Williams for some reason. down on the, on the, along the right uh, yeah. sideline. Correct, yes. Yeah. So Leonard Williams, though, if he kept running, I think you can make an argument he probably would have met Trubisky and at least pushed him out of bounds. Instead, Williams at the last second decided to drop back into coverage because I guess maybe he was worried that Trubisky was going to throw it. But Trubisky, you give him the sideline. Yeah, he's a mobile enough quarterback. He's not going to hesitate in running. There's no doubt about it. See, this is what the challenge is every week. Ben Roethlisberger is a mobile quarterback, meaning he's able to extend plays. But at this point, Big Ben's not running down the field more often than not to pick up 10 or 11 yards. Trubisky's athletic enough that if he's got nothing down the field, you have to anticipate Trubisky will take it himself and he'll try to pick up the first down. It was a bad split-second decision by Williams on that play. There's no doubt. Simple as that. he, he, He chose A when he should have chosen B and just gone right after the guy. It Last happens. question, and I'll, take it, and I'll take it off the air. And, and first of all, I want to thank you guys for taking my phone call. I noticed that in the second half, the Giants' uh, offensive line stood stalwart because they were doing a lot of pass, uh, uh, pass defense versus uh, the run, run, uh, run, off, excuse me, run uh, offense. Uh, is the Giants' line the way it's made up right now? better for uh, passing and quick passing than it would be for, uh, for, the, for the run offense. And I'll take that one off the line. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the phone call, Donald. Appreciate it. Well, we've all discussed during the offseason how offensive lines will always come together more quickly in run blocking than they will pass blocking. That's just the natural maturing of how a line will progress. Now, you know, Yesterday, the Giants were in a situation where they were forced to pass more in the second half, 
and again against a fellow middle middleweight team like the Bears. And I said this last week, and I won't back off of it. The Bears are not heavyweights. The Bears are a middleweight team. They're a middle of the pack team that's going to be you know struggling somewhere around the 500 mark and hope that they can sneak into the playoffs. They're not a bona fide for sure playoff team. They're just not. They're a middleweight team, and against a middleweight team. You, as a fellow middleweight, at least if that's what you perceive your team to be, you're going to have occasions where you're going to be able to do business against them. But can you do it consistently? And can you do it without those self-inflicted wounds that the Giants seem to be uh, having a habit of? I will say this, Paul, and this is just my personal opinion. Based on the first two weeks of the season— If you were to ask me, has this offensive line been more effective in run blocking or pass protection, I would argue it's been pass protection more so than run blocking. It seems like that's been the the case. I wouldn't disagree with that. I thought they they were, you know, adequate against a very tough Steelers front, and I thought that they were uh, okay against a a middleweight front that the Bears presented. I didn't think the Bears' front seven dominated that game at all yesterday. Not at all. Not at all. In fact, the only sack that Khalil Mack had, he split two tight ends who decided not to block him. How about that one? You want to talk about game plans and execution. The Giants ran a double tight end set with Ingram and Caden Smith on the left side of the Giants' offensive line. The Bears line up in their front. I think it might have been a a five-man front at that particular moment. might have even been a six. I'd have to go look it up now. And so they, they have an overloaded front. And Khalil Mack is down on the ground uh, opposite the left end. And what happens? Well, Ingram releases to the inside. Smith releases to the outside. Thomas takes care of the defensive end. And there's Khalil Mack all by himself looking at these two tight ends who both decide to go out for a pass without even chipping him. He splits them right in the middle and has a free clean shot and gets the sack of Daniel Jones. Heck, you could have gotten a sack if, if the two tight ends had decided to totally ignore you and not even give a, a put a finger on you. How does that happen, Lance? Well, and some of those breakdowns we also saw, by the way, in Monday night's game against the Steelers, too, where you had, remember, Barkley went out to help the tackle and all of a sudden a free path for a pass rusher. So, you know, that to me is something that has to be cleaned up because it's been evident for the first two weeks of the season. There's no doubt one about of, it. One of those two tight ends either should have had Mac or chipped him at the very least. you got to put at least something in front of him. You can't have him going against air. Like I said, you could have gotten a sack in that situation. And I'm, well, I'm sure it was a missed assignment. Somebody, yeah. one of those two tight ends, did not get the call or did not do what he was supposed to do. That wasn't a great play by Khalil Mack. They, they handed him a sack. By the way, this was also the second straight week, just speaking of the pressure and how the offensive line stood up, in which you know Akeem Hicks, who is that interior defensive lineman who also could be moved to the outside, making some big plays. He had a sack early in this game. Similar a bull to rush on Hernandez. Yeah. He just put him right back into the quarterback. Absolutely. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because Cam Hayward last week I know he came up with the interception, but when you've got that presence in the middle, it could truly open things up for the guys on the edges, as we saw with respect to Robert Quinn and Khalil Mack. Let's head back to the phone lines, and we check in with Hugo in New Jersey. Hugo, welcome to the program. What do you got for us? Yeah, good afternoon, guys. I just uh, um, wanted to talk about a couple of defensive alignments. You know, in the, I think it was the first or second Chicago series of the game, um, I saw Nate Ebner on the field, and that just kind of caught my eye. But uh, going back to the point of making uh, Trubisky beat you with his arm and not his legs, it's, uh, I think he was there to be a spy just by the way, you know, he was, he was moving. And, and I think he's a pretty athletic guy. Yeah. And I think that was, that was pretty logical. Actually, that was a pretty logical alignment early in the game. I think what's disappointing, and I agree with your earlier point that, you know, I think the defense has exceeded expectations to this point. Um, but I think the, the uh, disappointing thing is, you know, the team's ability to run on the Giants in the fourth quarter 
to use up the clock and kind of salt the game away. And, and I'm wondering um, whether it's better in those situations to go to a heavier defensive formation with maybe four down linemen uh, as opposed to the base 3-4. Because, you know, I, I don't think our edge guys, well, generally the edge guys aren't great run stuffers, but I think in our case in particular, they're not great guys. You know, Lorenzo Carter is more known for his athleticism. All these guys are more known for his athleticism. I, I guess the one guy uh, is Golden, who's pretty stout against the run. But, you know, whether it wouldn't be better to go Leonard Williams and B.J. Hill at defensive end and, and Trevor uh, and, and Dexter Lawrence and um, – uh, you know, Tom Tomlinson, that defensive tackle, uh, in those scenarios to really kind of stuff the run uh, because that's two weeks in a row where, you know, teams have been able to run the ball uh, late in the game and really made it difficult for the Giants to get back in the game. That's a valid question. I, I, won't, I won't dispute that at all. I think it's a valid question. The Giants need to figure out what combination in their rotation needs to be on the field in that situation. I think they're still trying to figure that out. This is part of the reason why you want preseason games. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I don't mean that as a cop-out, but these coaches and these players are still trying to feel each other out. Yeah, for sure. And, I also and, think, uh, you go. you know, part of the philosophy may be, as you hit on earlier, when you're going up against a quarterback like Trubisky, and Trubisky did scramble a little on that last drive where the Bears milked the clock, if you just want a little bit more speed on the field, because it's not so much about just packing the paint, as I like to say, the interior. It's also about making sure you have those edges covered. And sometimes if you go bigger, you don't have nearly as much speed on the field to slow down a guy like Trubisky who can easily curl off the edge and run up the sideline. So it's really a fine line that you have to walk depending on which quarterback you go up against. For example, against Roethlisberger, I think the bigger personnel is fine. Against Trubisky, I think you got to choose when you're going to take your chances in that department. It's all part of the equation that you have to evaluate going in. I, I do remember one thing that Coach Judge said after the first game against Pittsburgh when one of the writers had said to him, you know, at what point do you have to, and this was hysterical after only one game, at what point do you have to abandon your philosophy about your scheme and what you're doing or then instead you've got to start changing players and changing personnel? And, you know, I think Judge was incredulous with the question because it's ridiculous after one game that you would ask that. But he tried to answer it very logically and respectfully by saying, you know, it's too early to start changing out players and personnel. You have a philosophy. You have a thought of how you want to scheme it. You've got to give it a chance. You don't just start changing out personnel right away. I mean, that's careless. Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, one, one additional point uh, with respect to the offensive line, um, to my untrained eye, and maybe you guys can confirm this, I thought Nick Gates really improved from week one to, to week two. And I, I watched uh, uh, Thomas pretty carefully in a couple of plays, and I think he has a bright future. He really can uh, redirect uh, very well, and I've always thought that for offensive tackles, the ability to redirect and be flexible were really sort of the key things. Uh, you know, when I when I visited training camp a few years back and saw uh, Eric Flowers, and even before that, James Brewer, they were very stiff. And I said, ah, I don't think these guys are going to work out at tackle. But uh, Andrew Thomas uh, clearly doesn't have that problem. He can really kind of flex and move and redirect, and uh, I, I think he's, he's going to have a bright future. All right, Hugo, appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much. I think if you look at the run production on the ground between the Steelers game and the Bears game with respect to a guy like Nick Gates, Paul, I don't remember seeing nearly as much handoffs where by the time Deion Lewis got the ball or even Saquon that he had to an elude a tackler immediately. I think that that, just to the naked eye, is a sign of improvement because against the Steelers, more often than not, by the time Daniel Jones handed the ball to Barkley, there was penetration. I right. didn't get the feel of that in this week's game. No, no, I didn't either. Again, we're talking about a different level of opponent. Sure. 
and you can't dismiss that. That's why it's a week-to-week league. It's cliche, but there's so much truth to it. Let's head back to the lines. Dave is in Cranford. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Dave? Hey, guys. So this is actually uh, David in North Carolina. How you doing? Hi. Okay, we're doing very well, David. So how is David in North Carolina doing, and what do you have for us? <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. Um, uh, you know, obviously, uh, thoughts and, and prayers going out to uh, Big Saquon and uh, just, just hope the best, uh, you know, with his future and uh, hopefully future with the Giants. Um, I just wanted to comment, um, you know, I, I've seen a lot of the criticism of, uh, of Daniel Jones and the turnovers. And um, I, I know Charlie's probably waiting here at the end of the show to call in and, and call in Mr. Fumbles. But um, I just um, – Don't give him any I, ideas, I David. I don't understand the criticisms. I, I mean, listen, the, the fumbling's a problem, but you guys know as well as I do, um, he could have an iron grip of strength. But if Khalil Mack or OCU Manure uh, come around the edge and, and hit you as you're getting ready to cock the ball and throw, that ball's going to come out. And so really it's just uh, holding on to the ball a little too long and, and trying to stare down the uh, gun of the barrel, so to speak, to make a play that, that's really an issue uh, when it comes to his fumbling. And, uh, you know, the one thing I'd like to bring up to Charlie is, you know, when Kevin Gilbride was here, Eli Manning played a lot like that. Uh, if you look at 2007, he had um, 20 interceptions and 13 fumbles, and that team went 10 and 6. So, listen, I, I want Daniel Jones to, to clean up the uh, the turnovers, and I just don't see how you don't see him play on the field and see that there's a chance. I don't know what Daniel Jones is going to be, but uh, even you know with the turnovers, I'm, I'm still a big fan. I, I see a lot of potential there. And I just think, unfortunately, the circumstances around the team um, are, are kind of overshadowing his play, and, and he's not really getting to show what he can do, unfortunately, because our roster uh, just isn't really good enough to compete right now. All right, David. Appreciate the phone call. Unfortunately, the turnovers has been an ongoing storyline, Paul, and there were two more yesterday. They've had four giveaways over the course of the first two games, their turnover differential is minus one because they've had three takeaways. And as far as the blame game is concerned, I think the caller brings up a very good point, Paul. There's only so much that you could do when a huge pass rusher is coming at you from your blind side. And yeah, of course, you're going to try to hold on to the football. Sometimes as your body goes down, you hit the ground, things happen. I think the key for Daniel Jones is to have that inner clock and realize, okay, I've held on to the ball for X amount of seconds, there's nothing happening, throw it away, live to see another down. Similar to what transpired in the Steelers game after that 19-play drive, where you're searching, you're itching, you don't want to give up on the play, but you're also giving Bud Dupree an opportunity to do his thing. So I think if that mindset is better vocalized in his head on a consistent basis and better practiced in a game, that's how you at least even prevent the hits from happening? Well, you know, I think a couple of things on the one sack he's talking about. It was the forced fumble by Quinn. Quinn beat Thomas on the edge. It was early in the game, and he just beat the rookie to the edge. And that's going to happen because, you know, Quinn does have uh, some craftiness about him. And Thomas, you know, being a rookie as he is, he, he just got beat. It's just that simple. And I'm sure that, that Daniel Jones expected to have a little bit more time on that play than he did have. It was a backside strip, and uh, he pumped. There's no question. He pumped, and he was looking, and he patted, and he took a little bit more time that I'm sure he wish he did at the same time. Uh, you know, you'd like to think that Thomas could have gotten a little bit more of Quinn and delayed him another half a second. But this is what happens when things go bad. You know, one thing or the other didn't work out the way it was supposed to, and it aborts the play. Uh, it's a shame, but that's that's the game. Turnovers, it goes without saying, are absolute killers, especially when, number one, your offense is struggling to get the ball in the end zone. And number two, you know, the defense has been up and down. Despite the low-scoring affair by the Bears, still, you've had some drives where the Bears go down the field without any issue, and others when you're able to make the stop. So that's why I go back to the term at-bats. 
the Giants are not the type of team that's going to be able to create more possessions for themselves, Paul, based on what we've saw in the first two games and even stages of last season. So when you have the football, you have to make sure that you're prioritizing and capitalizing on all of those opportunities. And at the rate in which they're giving it away, it doesn't matter how much yardage or how many lengthy drives they're putting together. Jameis Winston, for example, I'm not making a comparison between Jameis and Daniel Jones, Paul, but the point is, if you look at Jameis's season last season, statistically, the guy threw for over 5,000 yards and had 30 touchdowns. Right. You're going to take that, okay? If you're an offensive coordinator, you're going to tell me you don't want your quarterback to finish with 5,000 yards and 30 touchdowns? But the problem is the turnovers, the volume of turnovers pretty much countered all of the positivity. And I think... That's where I look at the Giants' offense. Yes, there are certainly things to build upon, but if the turnover rate continues this way, it's basically going to be a straight line. And it means that you're not getting up, you're not getting too down, you're staying even because all of the good is being canceled out by the bed. That's fair enough. And the problem now is that without Saquon Barkley there, the defensive coordinators will not have that Excedrin guy that yep. they need to worry about and stay up at all hours of the night on Mondays as they begin the game plan. They're simply going to say, okay, they don't have Barkley anymore. He's the guy who we used to have to go to the drugstore about, but don't have to do that now. All they've got is Daniel Jones. Oh, yeah, and he's probably going to have to throw the ball now 35 to 45 times. Okay, I think we can, we can game plan around that. We'll deal with it. That's, that's basically what you're now facing. And, it's, and that's not agree. going to help Daniel Jones at all. In fact, it will hinder his development is what it's going to do. Yeah, because if you're an opponent, you want Daniel Jones to put the ball in the air as many times as possible because you figure, hey, maybe there's a chance we'll get a deflection, we'll force a turnover. There's no doubt about it. Let's head back to the lines. We heard from Dave in North Carolina. Let's try Dave in Cranford now. Dave, what's happening? Now, Lance, there we are. Thank there you, Paul. Go. Thank you, Lance. Um, well, a, a couple things, guys, and, and I think the first thing is, just to mention, you know, Saquon and, and just our, our best thoughts and, and wishes for, for sure. him. I mean, yeah, we, we should have we should have been more expressive about that earlier. Uh, nobody works harder than he does, and we all wish him the, the best of recoveries and hopefully for the league, not just for the Giants, but for the league, he can come back and be something of what he once was. And he will, Paul, and, and you're right. And, and, you know, just as a fan, I mean, I think – we often, myself included, you know, uh, treat these guys like they're robots or, you know, they're, they're people and no one is more upset about the injury than, than Saquon is. And, and he's going to come, you know, he's going to come back. I mean, Adrian Peterson's the, the measuring stick um, and Saquon has got the will and the discipline to, to do that. And, and he's going to, he's going to do that. But Paul, you, you bring up a, a great point. I think there's only a handful of teams, you kind of know who they are, where the problem that they have, which we have, is that the running back on their team is so talented that, you know, the, the fall-off is significant. There's, there's a number of teams where the backup, to be very honest, is not that different from the starter, and that's not the case, you know, in Carolina or in Dallas or definitely with us. And so if there's a problem with Saquon, it's that, you know, you're not talking about filling his shoes because there is, there is no filling his shoes. And so I, I agree with that. Um, but I, 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 guess, I guess overall, minus, you know, I mean, it was, you know, obviously it was a really disappointing, you know, is, to, is, is kind day yesterday where you know i do think that we had a chance to to put a win up on the on the board i think that was an opportunity lost um you know i think it's easy to 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 look at a number of different plays and and i don't think the team has the ability to withstand you know um you know five six seven different mistakes or or plays that go their their way which in the grand scheme of 100 and 120 plays is, is not a lot, but they're simply not good enough to overcome that. You look at, you know, obviously a team like Kansas City yesterday, I don't think they played that well, um, and they were still able to eke out a win at the end. So, you know, I, while, while I see that, however, I do think that there's a lot of things in, in these two games 
that um, are 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 positive, and, and and I and I know you guys aren't are not saying that they're not. I, I just, but I do want to just highlight that I think that there are things that are different, and I think the biggest thing is that while we can nitpick a couple coaching decisions here or there, um, you know, um, I, I I think we have a, a really strong coaching staff, starting with Joe Judge, and and I think that's a, that was a big question, and I, I you want to know one of the biggest things was. When when Barkley got hurt, who was out there carrying him off the field? But Joe Judge, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I, he is. And, and and I don't think that that's lost on the team, and and I don't think that's lost in the locker room. And 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 you know because I, you know he's a, he you know I, I, the criticism for him to me is is fascinating because in training camp he was too hard on players, and then after the first week when he was positive he was he was too positive which. I don't understand both those things, but go 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 for what that is. But my my point is going forward. I, they, I want to see them start to win. This is not a game of of you know you got to win. I get it, and and I I want to see them start to win. But they're not going to be a team that's going going to quit. They're not going to be a team that's going to be underprepared. You know, you might wish that they called this play or that play. I do think the defense has played better than we could have expected. I think the offensive line is going to continue to get better and they're going to have to adjust without Barkley. There's no, there's no question about that. The mm-hmm. only thing, Paul, I would disagree with you is I don't think this is going to slow down Daniel Jones's development. I mean, I, I hope get not. It. I, I, I know you hope not. And I appreciate that, Paul. I really do. But I, I actually think that, it's going to change the game planning, but I think they have the staff that is going to be able to adjust. I don't love it. I don't, I mean, no one can say, you know, going into the rest of the season, but I, I, I just think there's a lot of things that are positive to build upon. I want to start winning some games so that we're not having this, the same conversation at zero and five or zero and six. I, I definitely don't want that. However, um, I don't think they're going to be a team that other teams are going to want to play because I think they're they're going to continue to get better as as each game goes by, and and they're going to they're going to start to put it together even even with the fact that's going to be harder without Barkley. So thanks All for right, listening, Dave. guys. Appreciate the phone call. Listen, the margin for error. And the parity in the NFL, I don't think any team overlooks any team in the NFL. It may be easy to look that way because the team struggles, but we've seen some wacky things happen week in and week out. So I don't think that's the question with respect to the Giants. It's a matter of playing that complete game to finally turn in a performance that actually translates to results. That's right now their biggest struggle. Let's head back to the lines. Norris is in Brooklyn as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Norris? Norris going once, Norris going twice, Norris, three strikes, and you're out. Man of very few words. How about Len in Maryland? Let's see if Len is a little bit more talkative. Len, what's happening? Yeah, I'll be, I'll be talkative, guys. Thanks for taking my call. <laughs> uh, well, you know, you talk about devastating losses. Uh, you know, it's just another 0-2 start. But the real devastation from yesterday is the Barkley in, you know, injury. Uh, terrible for him. He seems like a fine young man, and he seems like he was, you know, had the potential to be that generational player that uh, Dave thought he was going to be. Maybe he comes back from it. But it certainly is a blow to the plan. Um, uh, you, you know, it's, it's uh, the plan that management had to, to revolve it around him so that the wins come more often. Uh, certainly the coaching staff, I mean, he was the, he's, he's the weapon. It's just a, just a tough, tough punch in the gut to lose a guy like Barkley. A couple of things about the, and I hope he makes it back. Obviously, everybody does. A couple of things about the game. Um, You know, strategy, last four minutes, last two minutes of crunch time, end of the first half, um, end of the game, not necessarily yesterday or even last week, but just generally speaking, put your best guys on the field. And your best guys are not rotational players. Your your best guys are your starters. You, you get Dexter Lawrence on the field. Um, if he's winded at that point, 
I'm not suggesting that he was. I'm just saying if he's winded and you're afraid to put him in the game or don't want to put him in the game, then, then you've got a whole other problem. But get Williams, get Lawrence, get your best players, the people you're paying the most money to. Get them on the field at crunch time, and that gives you – stop fooling with rotational players and trying to scheme your way out of it. Get your best dudes out on the field to make a play. You know, on rollouts, why is it when our quarterback rolls out or gets flushed out of the pocket to the side, there's always somebody on that side who's running straight at the quarterback, which is a pretty good strategy. Uh, my strategy would be on those rollouts, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about now the Leonard Williams thing where he faded back into the zone. Go get the quarterback. Make him make a decision as quickly as possible. Limit the number of options that he has, and he has to pick an option real quick. Just go get the quarterback. If he finds somebody in the flat and it turns into a 20-yard gain, so be it. If he has more time to throw the ball, he might find somebody deeper down the field, too. So my strategy would be I would teach these guys, go get the quarterback, go get the quarterback. Did Ballantyne play after that play in the end zone? Did he get another down from scrimmage? Do you guys know? I, I didn't. I, I didn't notice really. Was he back on the field at all? I thought that, that he play? was, but I yeah. would be remiss if I just said that haphazardly yeah, without right. going to check. Yeah, right, right, right. I got you, Paul. God, that was a terrible. I mean, that. It, listen, I, I I got twelve-year-old neighbors who can throw a better pass than that. That that that, that was. That was just an awful pass. Yeah, it was a it wobbly pass. For, it, it hung up forever. I mean, yeah, but, but once again, Glenn, when, when you I'm have sorry, the ball, ahead. when you have the quarterback running around for six seconds and the wide receivers moving around, then once again, as I mentioned earlier, it becomes a scramble drill. So, you know, so sometimes you it's not. Well, it's not, it's not but, just about fundamentals. It's about also keeping up with the guy for that length of period of time, too. Ballantyne, Ballantyne was there. Yeah, but he was behind was, him. He was right. He was he behind was, him, though. But Paul, that if you, I mean, what kind of closing speed was it going to take to close on that pass? The ball was terribly. He did not have good position at the, at the no, point. No, that, that's my point. When that ball my came down, he, he did not yeah. have good position at all. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, you know, we got to make a play like that. I mean, at crunch time again, you got to if you. If he's your starter, the guy the guy's got to come through on a play like that. Well, I mean, of course. That wasn't... I mean, but Len, yeah. Len, do you really think Corey Ballantyne goes on the field and says, "Nah, you know what? I think we'll let this play go." Of course, they have to make a play. I mean, come on. <laughs> do you think they're they're content with the fact that they gave up that drive at the end of the first half? The same thing happened in the Steelers game. Remember when Ben Roethlisberger put together the two minute drill? James Washington then got the pass over the middle and got past three to four defenders. I mean, that was a huge damaging blows in back to back weeks where now all of a sudden the opponent has an extra cushion. Goes without saying. There's no doubt about it. Do you do you think Valentine starts next week, Lance? I think a lot depends on the health and the makeup of the secondary. Remember, there's been some changes with yeah. the safety position. So, you know, yeah. it depends on who Patrick Graham has at his disposal. And, you know, also what they think of a guy like Darnay Holmes is he now has two games under his belt. I, I think it's way too early to tell. I think right now Patrick Graham, if you ask me my true opinion, I think he's still trying to get a feel of how some of these personnel groupings respond in game situations because he didn't have a preseason game. Now, you, you could say, well, shouldn't you know more about your personnel? Yeah, but the bottom line is he had no game situations. It was only going by practice. And sometimes you don't know about a player until you throw him up against an opposing wide receiver who he's not going up against in practice every day. Okay, good, good point, Lance. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with everything you said, but I, 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 I hear where you're coming from. I, I, you know, I get what you're saying. Um, one, one more thing. Quick, we had the yeah. ball for, and this is, and Lance, this is, you know, this is something that you don't like to hear me say, but we had the ball for 25 minutes and 30 seconds yesterday. You're not going to win many games when you have the ball for 25 minutes and 30 seconds. And now with no big strike person and down Shepard too, who I don't necessarily think is a big strike person. Wow. I mean, you know, um, we got to just run. How many plays did we run yesterday? I mean, I don't want to say we looked lethargic. We just looked 
like we had a lot of time as we moved toward the line of scrimmage yesterday. 62 snaps, Lane. 64 for the Hammond? Bears, 62 for the Giants. Yeah, it wasn't that big of a disparity, believe it or not. Not bad at all. And to be honest okay. with you, you know, that to me is a, is a better indication of where the Giants want to be. They'd like to get the game in, a, in yeah. about 65 snaps a game. I think that behooves them. If it's up at about 75, which is now what the NFL average is, that's a little too up-tempo for me. I'd like them to slow it down some because, in theory, that should help their defense stay off the field. The problem is, as it turned out, the Bears dominated the time of possession, and it didn't help the Giants much at all. Um, if you got something to do late on a Sunday afternoon, uh, a Giants game is a good one to follow because these, two, these past two games had to be the two fastest games of the season. We're playing them in like two hours and 50 minutes. Yeah. Um, I think, Paul, maybe you hit on it. Maybe that's the strategy. I don't know. You know, just keep the ball away from the other team any way you can do it. But, okay, look, 0-2, <laughs> another opportunity next week. Um, 49ers are a little beat up. Um, we'll see complaining about the field. Um, you know, maybe that'll take a little bit out of their game, too. Um, right, some look, look, be well. We'll, we'll yeah. talk to you again, I'm sure, yeah, sometime we'll, we'll, we'll on later in the week. We'll get into the Niners a little bit later in the Lance, week. Lance, uh, I want to give you one piece of statistical information before we sign off, and I know we are over time, and I apologize to our listeners, but I think it's important, given the Barkley information that we have today. Bill Belichick coached the Patriots. He's now in his 21st season. In his 20 previous years as coach of the Patriots, they made the playoffs 17 times. Do you know that he has had a 1,000-yard rusher only five times during his career as coach of the Patriots? Only five times. Each of those five years, the Patriots did make the playoffs. In three of those five years, they did win the Super Bowl. The point that I'm making is that if Joe Judge is truly a branch off of that Belichick tree, he probably is looking at this and saying, it's just another challenge that I've got to work through, and I know that my mentor would find a way to work through it and still win games. And that's what I think Joe Judge is going to do. He is not going to sit at his desk and feel sorry for himself no, and say, well, we've just lost our bell cow 1,000-yard rusher. We can't win. That's not going to happen. Well, plus he's been in New England where they've also had a running back by committee all those years. That's a big reason why Belichick hasn't had a 1,000-yard rusher, I would argue, more often than not. How many years Well, there's no argument to be had. That's exactly the point. That's exactly the point is that Belichick did not need a bell cow, a Saquon Barkley, to put up 17 playoff seasons. And I just looked this up real quickly before we sign off. Corey Ballantyne played 45% of the defensive snaps yesterday. He played 29. Holmes played 25. He was on the field for 38%. And then Yadam played 36 for 55%. Just to give you an idea about the rotation and who was out there, at least at the cornerback position. And Logan Ryan, 55 snaps. He played 85% of the snaps this week. So guys were pretty much all across the board in terms of how they divvied up the snaps. That is going to do it for us here on Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. We'll be back up and running again on Tuesday at noon Eastern as we continue to recap the Bears game and look ahead to the Niners game coming your way on Sunday. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.